All right, this morning we come to Psalm 23. I remember asking uh, for favorite psalms, psalms that you guys wanted me to cover in this series, and I don't think anybody put down Psalm 23, because I think you all expected someone else to put it down. Um, But here it is, one of the more well-known and justifiably well-known and best loved of the psalms. Let me read it for us. Very simple words that are very, very familiar. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So ends again the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word as we come before it this morning. May he teach us from it. Let me pray for us as we come to the word. God, our Father, again we come before you here again to ask your blessing. Now as we come before your word, we ask that you would speak to us. We pray that you would uh, fulfill the promise that you have made, that when your word goes out, it accomplishes everything that you purpose for it and is successful in the things for which you sent it. May that be true here this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the things that you would have us learn this morning. Again, plant your word deep within us. May it be a light to our path, a lamp to our feet, that we might walk according to what it teaches. Lord, we ask all of this, as always, in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. One of the things we enjoy doing as as human beings is reminiscing, looking back on life and telling old familiar stories and recounting well-known and typically pleasant and amusing events from our shared past life. Sometimes trials, sometimes difficulties, and that enables us to to talk about the things we learned and the things that we had to do to make it through. We do this with our friends. That's what high school reunions are for. Let's reminisce. We do this as families. We retell old stories and pass them on from generation to generation. We do it in the church. Wow, do you remember how we found that facility? Wow, do you remember how we got those chairs? Do you remember what the Lord did at this time, at that time, and so on? I've been thinking about reminiscing because I've been doing that a little bit this week. I was quite sick for most of the week at home with um, body aches and a fever and chills and all that fun stuff. One of those illnesses where you you don't want to do anything except lay there and either watch TV or read. And pretty soon that gets kind of boring. And so what I did is I resolved to, to uh, get my computer out and, and some records that I had and, and enter some family history into a computer program that I have. Much of which I lost a couple of years ago when the hard drive crashed. 
And, and what struck me as I was going through many of these was it, I don't just have a list of names and dates. I have stories that go with those. Stories that her father writ, wrote down, that her mother wrote down, that aunts and uncles wrote down. And I have the same for my family. It's, it's just fascinating to, to read those again and be reminded of where families came from and what they went through and how they got here and what their background is. It appeals to me as someone who loves family. It appeals to me as someone who loves history. It appeals to me because I remember hearing some of those stories when I was growing up. And to be able to find documentation that says, you know that story that my aunt told me? It's true. <laughs> and be amazed and surprised and delighted to, to discover these things are, are, uh, are actually part of our, our family story. Reminiscing is good in that sense, for passing on important stories and important lessons that go with those stories. And we reinforce those lessons as we repeat those stories over the years, especially when it's a good story. As a side note, that's why I think a personal testimony is such a valuable part of our witnessing. To be able to tell someone who's had a common experience or a common background, I've been where you've been, and here's where the Lord has taken me. That's a powerful teaching tool and witnessing tool. Anyway, on with Psalm 23. And I was thinking about this, this reminiscing as I was thinking about Psalm 23. With, I think, probably Psalm 1 and, and Psalm 100, it's, it's up there at the top of the most loved, most famous, most memorized psalms. 1 and 23 and 100, those are the ones we learned when we were kids in Sunday school. The ones we memorized. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I was reading it here in the English Standard Version translation, and in my head I was hearing the old King James. That's a little disconcerting. And then when you come to a, a, a text, especially as a teacher or as a pastor or a preacher, oftentimes we're... We come to it and want to make sure we say something new, that we say something uh, not new in the sense of doctrine, but something that you haven't heard before, something that will help you appreciate the text or the passage more and, and give a deeper understanding of it while also kind of piquing your interest. But again, I'm, I'm sitting here this week thinking about Psalm 23 and I'm thinking, what can I say that hasn't been said before? And then I thought about the stories that we repeat in our families, and I said, why should I say something new? Sometimes it's valuable just to remember good stories, to reminisce about good things from the past. New is not always wise. Sometimes it's better just to remind ourselves of things that we know, to renew and strengthen our faith. And I think that's helpful to do here this morning, just to go through the psalm. I'm not going to say anything brilliant or new about this, but let's reminisce about it a little bit. Let's look at this old familiar psalm and remind ourselves why it's so well-loved and how wonderful the lessons are that it teaches us. I'll do this, maybe this is new for you, but it's not really anything brilliant or insightful. I want to look at the psalm first from David's perspective as the author of the psalm broaden that to its meaning for the people of Israel and then what it means for us 
as God's people today. So we'll kind of start narrow with David and then expand from there. Psalm 23 is a psalm about David's shepherd. And David's shepherd is the Lord God of Israel. This is a psalm a little bit like Psalm 62 last week. There's no petitions in it. It's a simple psalm of praise and of faith and trust in God. We know that David himself was a keeper of sheep in our Old Testament reading. God reminds him of this. I took you from being a follower of the sheep and made you prince over my people. But David knows what the job is like. And he uses the image of God as a shepherd, which is also a biblical image, uh, to declare this praise and faith and trust he has in God. God is my shepherd. The Lord is is my shepherd. A simple statement that pulls in three valuable ideas. Two people and how those people are connected. The first person is God, the Lord himself. And David uses God's covenant name here. Yahweh is my shepherd. Not Elohim, Yahweh, the Lord God himself who promised in blood passing through the the animals cut in two, that he would keep his promises. And if not, he would be like those dead, divided animals. This covenant-giving, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God is the Lord that David claims as his shepherd. So just the name tells us something about what's going on here. Just the name tells us that David already sees this Lord God as someone who is faithful and trustworthy, who's generous and full of that covenant term, chesed, loving kindness. And then David identifies himself as the second person. My shepherd. He doesn't just identify the Lord God in the psalm. He identifies the Lord God as his Lord God, his own Lord And he could be making that statement. We could look at that and go, oh, David's just making a claim. He knows he's part of the people of Israel. He's part of the tribe of Judah. He's part of the people of God. And he's just making a simple kind of fundamental statement about membership in the people of God. In other words, it's kind of a formality, poetic formality. But as we go through the psalm, you you can't stay with that interpretation. This is a very personal psalm. This is a very personal faith and a personal statement that David is making. My Lord. This is my Lord. This is my God. And then the third thing in that opening statement is just the connection between David's Lord and David himself. The Lord as a shepherd to David, which also, of course, implies that David is a sheep (laughs) and all that that entails. What's interesting about the Hebrew word there is it's not a noun. It's a participle. I hated grammar in school, but bear with me. Participles are verbs with ing at the end. Think of a verb like walk. I walk, you walk, he walks, they walk, blah, blah, blah. If you put ing on the end, now that verb can be used for all sorts of things. Walking is good for you. Now it's the subject of a sentence kind of functions like a noun. 
mom went walking today. Now it's the object of the sentence, something that mom did. She enjoyed the walking path. It's not just any kind of path, it's a walking path. It's a descriptor. So participles are a little bit difficult to translate and know how to, to, uh, to use. That's what makes Greek so annoying. But you could translate this, and the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament actually translates it this way. The Lord is shepherding me. The Lord is shepherding me. Now, Hebrew grammar and all that stuff tells us that it should be treated as, as a noun. The Lord is my shepherd. But the reason I bring this up is because it's not just a title. It's an active job. It's an active work. It's not just something that God is. It's something that God does. The Lord shepherds us. When I was in Christian high school, we had to do a, an assignment on Psalm 23 to rewrite it, replacing shepherd with something that we were familiar with. The teacher told us, you know, David was a shepherd. Take something familiar in your life and say, the Lord is my whatever. I remember one guy said, the Lord is my skateboard. <laughs> I actually did a pretty good job with it. But that misses the point. The Lord is not an object. What, what, the, what the underlying language here is saying is that the Lord does something. He shepherds his people. As a shepherd, he shepherds. And what that means, what that entails, is revealed in the rest of the psalm. The Lord is shepherding David. He's taking care of him, leading, protecting him, as a shepherd does with his flock of sheep. And David understands this intimately because he was a shepherd. He understands what it means to lead and protect a flock of sheep. And so we have this idea fleshed out in the rest of the psalm. This shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. The idea of this verse is rest. I've heard it applied to eating grass and drinking water. Sheep don't like to drink moving water. I don't know if that's even true. It's, it doesn't matter. What it means here, and it's very clear again in the original language, it's rest. It's a place of quiet, of solitude, of peace, a place of safety where the sheep can lie down and be without fear. As a shepherd, he restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness. This idea of restoration is, is this a restoration of comfort? I get my energy back? Is it a restoration of salvation? Different commentators ask that question. I think, as many do, that it's likely both. This restoration is both salvation and kind of being re-energized, comforted, and the comfort that only comes in salvation. The salvation that leads to righteousness, to living the way that God wants us to live. Not for our sake, not for our glory, but as David prayed in our Old Testament reading, that God might be glorified that his name might be great. He does this for himself. The Lord does this to glorify himself. As a shepherd, he is with David. So even though he walks through this dramatic description, the valley of the shadow of death, great danger, 
we hear stories of, of uh, New Testament Judea where uh, pilgrims to Jerusalem from Jericho had to pass through this incredibly dangerous part of the climb up to Jerusalem. It, it, it could be thought of as kind of a valley of the shadow of death. Great danger, bandits and, and evil people who were out to, to hurt and harm and steal and kill. David says, I could pass through a place like that without fear, because you're with me. That's how you shepherd me. I'm safe because you're with me. Your rod and your staff guide me. Symbols of authority and of power. They give me comfort. I feel safe. I have assurance. The shepherd is with David in such a sense that even in the midst of his enemies, here's the eating part of the psalm, not in verse 2, now a table is prepared before me. My head is anointed with oil like sitting down for a banquet. My cup is overflowing. Enemies are around me, but I can sit down and have a picnic. I can have a banquet with my hair slicked back with oil, clean and fresh. My cup overflowing. That's how you shepherd me, O Lord, my shepherd. And all this leads to the (coughs) hope of a great future. The covenant-keeping Lord, this covenant-keeping shepherd who brings restoration and righteousness and comfort and discipline and authority, who gives blessing even in the midst of enemies, will grant a future to David a blessing, and his own comforting presence forever and ever. We've talked about many times in the last few weeks about David's great desire in Psalm 27, verse 4, to be with God, to be in his house. Here is David's confidence that that prayer will be answered. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an incredible picture of this relationship. David, his shepherding Lord, and the work that this Lord does for his servant. In this psalm, and I think this is one of the reasons it's so beloved by us, it's poetic beyond measure, but David's expression of just incredible confidence and trust in the Lord that he will take care of him in every circumstance of life, both this life and the life to come. What a beautiful picture for David. What a beautiful expression of his own faith and trust in God. And because it's such a personal psalm, we kind of often stop there. Well, this is David, and let's be like David. But there's, there's a world beyond Psalm 23 in the Old Testament that speaks to Israel as well. And I think we can also say David as king is speaking for and to the people of Israel. That's part of his job as shepherd of the Lord's people, under shepherd if you want to call it that. And this image, this idea of the Lord as shepherd is a familiar idea for the people of Israel. It's used before David and it's used a lot after David. 
We can go back to Numbers 27. Moses is dying. Who's going to lead the people of Israel after him? And the Lord tells him to appoint Joshua so that the people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And the judges after Joshua were thought of as shepherds for the Lord's sheep. When the people finally come to make David king over all of Israel, they recount the promise that God made to him. This is in 2 Samuel 5 and also in 1 Chronicles 11. God made you shepherd over his people Israel, they tell David. So we're here to make you king. Nice when people get on board with what God is promising. In our Old Testament reading again, 2 Samuel 7, God mentions the judges who led his people, a reminder of those successor shepherds to Joshua, whose job it was to shepherd them. Later, the prophet Micaiah is going to prophesy that God's people would soon be without a shepherd. In 1 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 18. Prophets after that would call upon the people to look to the Lord as their shepherd because they don't have any good shepherds. The priests and the kings have failed them. So the Lord himself has promised to be their shepherd. This is in Isaiah 40, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 34. In fact, Ezekiel 34 has a long section where God judges those poor leaders of Israel, kings and priests alike, as bad shepherds and then promises again that he himself will shepherd his people. He calls himself their shepherd. But then adds to that promise, the promise that he will send a son of David to shepherd his people. That promise is echoed in Micah chapter 5, 2 and 4. Bethlehem specifically mentioned where David was from and where this future shepherd, the son of David, will come from. So Israel both before and after David, is to look to God as their true shepherd, just as they're to look to him as their true king. So whether it's Moses, Joshua, Judges, the kings of Israel, the priests, the promises of God that would come later, these shepherds were to be faithful under-shepherds to God as the chief shepherd of his people. Most of those shepherds indeed were very unfaithful. And that unfaithfulness is always a reminder to look past the human shepherd to the divine. But God promises not to leave his people without a shepherd. Promising that son of David to come who would be a good shepherd. A proper ruler. So that that brings it to us. Now we can expand beyond the people of Israel to everyone who looks to the Good Shepherd for salvation. That's where this psalm, this very personal psalm of David becomes a very personal psalm for us. Again, why I think it's so well loved by us. Because we know this applies to us as well. The New Testament talks about Jesus as being the fulfillment of the promise of a Good Shepherd. He's born in Bethlehem and the fulfillment of the promise to Micah. He claims himself to be the good shepherd. Our New Testament reading from John 10. After his resurrection and ascension, the apostles celebrate Jesus as the good shepherd of the sheep. 
Look at Hebrews 13.20 or 1 Peter 2.25 or Revelation 7.17. The Lamb as the shepherd of his people. 1 Peter 5 in verses 2 and 4 tells us that God has appointed under shepherds to watch over his people until he returns. But what's so amazing about this shepherd, and here's where David knows it and we should know it as well. When Jesus claims to be the good shepherd, the one thing that he says that is so profound and amazing and wonderful is that he's the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. He said that twice in John 10 as we read through that. David would have known that that was part of the job. He's not a hired hand. He's the son of his father. He owns the sheep. So it was his job when the bear and the lion came, as he recounted to Saul later, to go up against them with just hand weapons. Think of that, just hand weapons against a bear, against a wolf, against a lion. Very risky. Put his own life in danger. But he was willing to do that to protect his flock. Knowing this, amplifies, I think, our understanding of both the Old Testament descriptions of God as shepherd, but also what Jesus did in his work on our behalf. To die. But to die in the place of covenant breakers. It's the covenant breakers who deserve death. This covenant-keeping Lord who is shepherd did not break any covenants. It's not for him to be like those Animals cut in two to be dead and bleeding on the ground. Covenant breakers deserve that. Covenant breakers deserve death. But here is the good shepherd declaring himself willing to die for covenant breakers. Incomprehensible from an Old Testament sense. That makes perfect sense when we See it in the person of the God-man, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who ended up dying for his sheep. His death protects them. His life and death leads them out of sin and into righteousness, as David writes about in verse 3 here. And his resurrection leads them to eternal life, so that all who look to him for salvation will dwell with the Lord forever. The promise is fulfilled in the Good Shepherd what David looked to in verse 6. The good shepherd leads. His sheep follow him. They follow by faith. They hear his voice. They know it. They respond. We acknowledge that we're wayward, wandering sheep. There's a song like that in our hymn book. Who can't lead ourselves, can't protect ourselves, can't save ourselves, But boy, do we need a shepherd, a savior, a covenant Lord. So we do admit our sin and we turn to Jesus, the good shepherd, in repentance and faith. Again, not that different from David. As we've been going through the Psalms, we see this about him. And we'll see it some more. David knew who he was. A broken and sinful man in need of salvation. A sheep in need of a shepherd. And he wrote this psalm as a sheep in need of a shepherd. By the way, don't let anyone tell you you're anything but a sheep. (laughs) 
I think one of the great deceptions of the deceiver himself is to try to convince us that we're not sheep. You're a bear. You're a lion. You're a wolf. You're a fox. You're strong. You can take care of yourself. You can find your own happiness. You can find your own way. You don't need a shepherd. The gospel comes to us and says, admit it. You're a sheep. You need a shepherd. The great news as well is that with the Lord God as your shepherd, Jesus himself as your good shepherd, the things that David writes about in this psalm are true. You will not want. You will be safe. You will be comforted. You will receive mercy. You will dwell in God's house forever. Oh, you'll face the valley of the shadow of death. I can look around the room and see that most of you have or are. But doesn't he provide a banquet in the midst of that? So this isn't just David's psalm. This is your psalm. Let this story be your story. Reminisce over it with joy and hope, gratitude. Remember and celebrate like David does with great praise and with great trust God's great shepherding work for you and for your salvation. Let me pray for us. Lord God, our Father, indeed we are wandering sheep. As your word tells us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But you have laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. He leaves behind the 99 to go get the one to bring us into the fold. We pray again, Lord God, our Father, our Shepherd, that you would bring all those that Jesus mentioned, the sheep that are not of that flock that he was speaking to, bring all of them into the sheepfold. Do it quickly, we would ask. We ask that it would be a great number. We would ask humbly that we might be able to see that and rejoice in it and be a part of that. But turn our hearts to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and do not ever let us forget that we are sheep. Do not ever let us forget that you are our shepherd and that Jesus himself is our good shepherd. We ask all of this in his glorious name. Amen.